The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Oh, yeah, we came in real hot after yesterday's strong showing, and it sure looked like we could continue the upside trajectory at the opening. But then the rally fizzled. Dow only sinking 159 points. S&P dipped 0.27%, and the Nasdaq eked out a 0.14% gain after trading sharply higher at the opening. The culprits behind the downturn? Well, there was a laundry list of hazards, the heated rhetoric between the uh, automakers' management and the UAW, something that increasingly looks like it is going off the rails. And then there's that bizarre international warfare in Congress where House Republicans can't even agree with themselves, let alone the Democrats stuck out for more. That was, that was a sore spot. Plus, just like everything else in September, the fear of higher rates and higher oil sure did loom over the session, even though they both eventually finished lower today. The reasons, the result, well, it was a perfectly good October-like rally, but it fell on the shoals of September. And those who bought an up market at the open couldn't lead today's session with anything other than the usual sense of despair. Just another good-looking start that led to a nasty denouement like we've gotten used to over the last 30 days, haven't we, you and me? The good news, when we come in next week, September will be over. All right, speaking of next week, we want to be as relevant as possible with our game plan. So let's not bury the lead on, on, because on Friday, it's going to go right to it. On Friday, we get the September non-farm payroll report. And this is the single most important number we get from the government. If we're going to have a strong October, we need to see, we got to start with this. Start with a softer unemployment number that shows some slack in the labor force. Otherwise, we'll spend the whole month worrying that the Fed's going to lower the boom on us to cool things down. Now, this is a tough call because we don't want to see any sort of wholesale economic collapse. Because then we worried about earnings, earnings per share, earnings cut, forecast down. But we also want to see consistently strong unemployment numbers because then Fed Chief Jay Powell has no wiggle room. And interest rates are going higher, starting with the longer end. Now, I continue to believe that come the end of October or to November 1, when the Fed meets and then talks, we'll get a quarter point rate hike and longer term rates will follow. I think the yield curve, which has been inverted, will finally switch back to normal. And the yield on the 20-year Treasury will likely pass short rates and go near 6%. But that will not be a disaster, people. It will not. See, I know that, we'll, that it'll be seen as negative for the stock market. But if you hop in the Wayback Machine with Mr. Peabody, you'll find out that we've had plenty of markets in the 80s and 90s when rates went higher and stocks rallied anyway, rallied strong in some cases. Of course, if the, unemp- if the employment data is on the softer side and it looks like we're at the beginning of sustained weakness, then the Fed might be done tightening. 
in that case, longer-term rates may start going down. Uh, the market could be up huge, and that's why the bulls are rooting for economic weakness. It's the only thing that can make the Fed stop. It could be an explosion of stock prices if we get what I just mentioned. At the same time, our markets have been held hostage by oil, so the labor report may be less expect uh, less important than we typically expect if the price of crude breaks through 100. I think it might stop there, but I get the, con- the concern. And by the way, later in the show, you're going to hear that all the stuff about oil that you have been related to in terms of the stock market is wrong. So don't draw any nasty conclusions just yet. It's also highly possible that we could have a government shutdown. In that case, we won't even see the labor report until Congress passes the budget. Wonderful situation where we can't even get, get a, a, a more time to agonize about the economy and the Fed. So this does not come out on Friday if the government shut down. I want to be clear you know that so you don't think I've led you astray. So uh, not too hot, not too cold, but closer to cold, and we could be in great shape. Anything else? And yet we're going to have problems, and we're going to see a little September tinge October. Now back to Monday, the first day of the fourth quarter, and it starts with something that I've, we've covered very well that I think is kind of exciting. That's the breakup of Kellogg's into Kellanova, which is the snack food business, and WK Kellogg. That's the North American cereal business. I suspect that growth-oriented investors will actually be attracted to the snack spinoff, which includes Cheez-Its, Pringles, and Pop-Tarts, among other goodies that may not be all that good for you, but sure to taste good. They're trying to unlock value here, although Kellogg's stock hasn't been a winner since the breakup was announced. People hate the food stocks. I hope we'll get some news on both the government shutdown and the auto strikes. Either way, I see both situations. I mean, these are agents of economic decline. The government closing only impacts 25% of the non-mandatory federal spending, so it's not as big a deal as it sounds. But the auto strike is truly a thorny issue that keeps expanding. And if it keeps expanding next week, it will not be all that good. It will slow down the economy. The stocks trade like there will be a deal, though. But when you listen to the head of the United Auto Workers, Sean Fain, he seems like a bit of a capricious fella. So who knows, especially when he's got the president of the United States walking the picket line. I mean, he must feel completely emboldened, right? By the way, I thought Ford's Jim Farley laid out things pretty straight this afternoon about how generous Ford's offer's been. But that just brought catcalls from Fain. I got to, it is getting really personal. I don't like that. Jay Powell speaks Monday, among other Fed folks, and it's not clear whether he'll say anything that moves the needle. But remember, his bias is to stop inflation, not to boost growth, even if it causes double, you know, gigantic job losses, frankly. I doubt he'll make us feel uh, better about things. Now, he obviously doesn't want gigantic losses. He's a very good man. But in order to see rates go down, we're going to have much more unemployment. We have to. Tuesday, we get results from McCormick, okay, the spice company, uh, and they also make seasonings. And by the way, they have a new CEO, Brendan Foley. The packaged food group has been out of favor, as I mentioned before, with Kalanova. That's in part because there's a belief that we'll have to roll back the price increases from the last few years. By the way, didn't Costco really say that? Didn't, didn't hear that from Craig Jelinek? I did. McCormick currently sells for 28 times earnings, which is most likely too high for its cohort. And that's why the stock has been steadily declining. Now, we've got, here's a good one. We've got an analyst meeting from Molson Coors. That's the iconic beer company. Liquor's only been okay of late. This year's been actually a downer for the, what we call the Browns and the Clears. But beer sales are still strong, and this company's been firing on pretty much all cylinders. I like the stock, but not as much as I like Constellation Brands. The parent of Corona and Modelo, which we own for the Chapel Trust. Constellation reports on Thursday. I expect a good number. They might give us a hint of the major restructuring that could be announced at their analyst meeting in November. Lots to like there. Wednesday, a Kramer staple, Okta. Sounds like a food company, right? Oh, we got some Okta, some we got some Conagra. No, it's not. It's cybersecurity, silly. It's going to hold its uh, meeting. Okta's going to call it. It's called the Octane. Well, like Workday Rising. I mean, you get these things. 
Salesforce, Dreamforce. All right, maybe it's just the guys out west. They have a silly, they have a, a strange sense of humor. Uh, here, I think CEO Todd McKinnon will talk about the difficulty of stopping the hackers because they prey on employees who try to be helpful and the bad guys pretend to be their coworkers. The bad guys never stop, which is terrific for Okta but, uh, and for the security cohort, uh, sorry, security cohort in general. But that's why we have such a big position for Palo Alto Networks, for the trust. Thursday, ConAgra Brands reports the stock's been a one-way ticket to the danger zone lately, falling from the 40, falling from 40 at the beginning of the year, down to $28 today. And now supports a 5% yield. That's rather remarkable. But then again, if you can get 5% from Treasuries, you might think twice given how ConAgra stock has been acting. These food stocks are just terrible. You might be intrigued by Levi's, which caught an upgrade this week. Chip Berg will be departing as CEO soon, replaced by Michelle Goss. Lately, she's late of Kohl's. Apparel, like food, has been totally out of style on Wall Street, except for Lululemon, which can do no wrong. Now, if there's an analyst being that can move a stock, I think it's going to be Thursday's gathering for Dell. I know, per se, but don't. Don't, but Prosaic makes you money here. They reported a truly stunning quarter and were in a, gave a great forecast last time. This is a totally unsung story with a stock that could have more room to run. And then the bookend, the labor report, will decide whether we can truly rally in October. Bottom line, if you want to know where the market's headed, no number is more important than the Labor Department's non-farm payroll that we get on Friday. But again, we won't get it if the government shuts down. It can Thread the needle on the softer side. We could come into real earnings season, which starts the week after, with a decent and positive head of steam. Let's go to Greg in New York. Greg. Hi. How are you, Jim? Um, I'm a big fan of your show. Oh, thank, thank you. for everything what you're doing out there for us, for investors. Thank you, Greg. I, pre- I greatly appreciate that. How can I help? Yes, my question is about airlines, uh, specifically about United Airlines. What should I do? Hold, sell? Uh, I'm not a big fan of the airlines here. They're, they finally have kind of run out of steam. The uh, What I would tell you is this. This fuel cost is really kind of making it so that they're really on their heels. We have to see you all go down sustained fashion before people are going to come back to them, whether it's right or not. Let's go to Frank in Florida. Frank. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call, and I appreciate everything you do for us. Oh, I know you're an Eagles right. fan. Go Birds. Go All right. Uh, no, <laughs> we play the Dolphins. It's going to be Monday night. I'm, I, maybe I'll take Tuesday off. I don't know. If we win, I'll take Tuesday off. If we lose, maybe I'll take Tuesday off. What's, what is it? There you go. Buy or sell FIS Mogul. Oh, man. Okay. I mean, I say this because I've been looking at everything that's fintech, everything that's related to the banks, everything that's anything involving whether the banks are clients. And I have to tell you, another payment service provider, even though it's one of the original ones, I'm not going to endorse it. Crowded, and the market doesn't like them. Hey, how about we go to Marvin in my home state of New Jersey? Marvin. Hey, Jim. Listen, I got two things for you. Number one, you got the best educational investing show ever on TV, and congratulations you, for that. Thank you. And number Thank two, you. be careful going home because the weather is brutal. Yeah, my wife told me it's very difficult to get from one area to another, like three hours. I, I appreciate Absolutely. that. I am concerned myself. Be safe. Thank be you. Safe. Just wow. wanted to ask you about McDonald's. Why is it taking a 10% hit? 
Okay, it's a great question, and it's getting interesting, but there's been some, uh, uh, I I say some chatter between the franchisees and management that doesn't seem to be going that well. I also think, by the way, it sells at 23 times earnings, and we're paying less for every single stock. Some might just say, listen, I'm not going to pay that with interest rates at five. I'm only going to pay 20 times earnings. And that's that multiple contraction that we see in all the great growth stocks. Next week, it's all about the job support. If we're going to have a strong October, it has to start with a jobs report that shows some slack in the labor force. I sure hope we get the number and the government shutdown doesn't stop it. Oh, man, tonight, September's been a tough mark, a month for the market, as you know. But that didn't stop a host of IPOs from making their debut. I'm recapping all the deals we saw this month and where we stand. Now that the fanfares died down, you may be still holding back. Then it seems like every rally in oil is bad news for the stock market. So how should you really interpret the relationship between the two? It's going to shock it. I'm going off the charts with the help of the legendary Larry Williams, who told you not to see you in September because it would be a bad month. And you called in and you stumped me on primordial services and motive, motive care. And so tonight I am turning in my homework and sharing where I come down on the two names. One of them seems very attractive. You probably have to listen to find out which one. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. I know September's been a terrible month for the market, but let's not obscure one of the most important stories out there, the resurgence of the IPO market. This month, we had three major deals, Arm Holdings on the 14th, Instacart on the 19th, and then Clavio, a digital marketing software company. That came public on the 20th. 
All told, according to the IPO experts at Renaissance Capital, who might be using for years, there are 11 deals in September that collectively raised $6.71 billion. Capping off the third quarter, where we had 26 deals that raised $7.7 billion. In terms of total proceeds, it was the best the IPO market's been since the fourth quarter of 2021. Not that long ago, but still pretty good. So now that we've had three major deals in the last month, it's fair to ask, how'd they go? How'd you do? Um, And to which I say, go well for who? For Arm Holdings, Instacart, and Clavio, I'd say they went great. Mainly because all three IPOs actually happened. The Arm deal priced at the high end of the proposed range. Instacart's price range had to be raised. Then it priced at the high end of the range. And uh, Clavio was supposed to come up at 25 to 27 but it ended up pricing at $30. So from the perspective of the company selling stock, they got out. They got the best possible outcome. That's very strong. That's a healthy market. I also think this was a terrific result for the investment banks who underwrote these IPOs, especially Goldman Sachs. They had a major role in all three deals, something that, that makes me feel pretty good about my alma mater and make it itself a very interesting investment opportunity right here. Once again, if the IPO market keeps recovering, that's a great reason to buy the investment bank stocks. But what we care about most of all are you. How did the investors do? And if you look at how the investors have done, well, then you get results that are, frankly, more mixed. People who got a piece of these deals, meaning they got an allocation of stock in the actual offering, where it priced, they're doing fine. Arm and Clavio are both trading solidly above where they came public, while Instacart's below its offer price. It's only down about 1%. It's not bad. Over the same period, the S&P 500 is down nearly 4%. So if you got a piece of these major deals, you did make money in two of them, and you underperformed. In, uh, you outperformed in all three. So think about this. In other words, this is where the deal priced, not where you might have bought it in the, a public market, but where the deal was when you got the stock. See, the reason that's important, because if you bought any of these newly public stocks in the open market right after they began trading, you're probably kicking yourself, especially if you bought it on the days when these new listings became began trading, as I told you to avoid. Arm started trading at $56.10, close to $63.59. It's now $53 and change. You've definitely been better off waiting. Instacart opened at 42. It's at 29 and change as of today. If you bought it right out of the gate, you got killed. Clavio started trading. It's $36.75, so it's come down to $34.50. This is why I always tell you not to buy new IPOs right out of the gate. They typically tend to pull back after the first day, which is when you get a better entry point. I'm not just being a killjoy here. Why don't we take them in chronological order? Arm Holdings came first, and this semiconductor designer is indeed one of my favorite stocks. I also like management, but it did get ahead of itself. Arm opened at $56.10, shot up to $63 and change in the close, at the close of the first day. I don't know how it squeezed right up there in the last half hour. It peaked at $69 at intraday high on the second day. That was also not so good. After that, though, the stock immediately started giving back its gains. Arm finished that second day down 4.5%, and it sunk back to the low 50s as of today. While I'm a little surprised there wasn't more follow-through, I'm honestly grateful this ugly market's given me the opportunity to buy Arm at a much more attractive price. It's a good company. It, it was expensive when it was in the 60s. Still expensive in the 50s, but it's a good company. Remember, on the night of the IPO, I gave you my blessing put on a very small position in the low 60s, but cautioned not to build a large position until the stock pulled back to the low to mid-50s. Now you're getting that chance. I would be a buyer down here. Too much going right. Arm's low-power CPU designs make them a vital cog in the semiconductor ecosystem. That's not going to change anytime soon. All right. And by the way, they have the, the type that they have with NVIDIA, you know I just think is terrific. 
Next up, there's this thing called Maple Bear. That's the official name for Instacart. Here, the meltdown happened almost immediately. The stock opened for trading at $42, peaked at $42.95, and then plunged to close at $33.70 on the first day. Since then, it's continued to drift lower. Can't say I'm surprised about this one. I told you, wait and see with Instacart right out of the gate. Stocks seem too expensive. Do you know what? It's still too expensive. The next day, Clavio came public, and this one was a wild one right for the gate. Stock opened at 36, jumped to 39, changed it as, uh, and changed at its peak. It's then sold off hard, closing at $32.76 on day one. Less than three bucks above where it came public. Wow, do people get picked off at the high, high point. That's exactly what Clavio bottomed, though. And since then, the stock's gradually worked its way higher. People love software. Oh, they love it so much. Hey, you know what's intriguing? But I got to do some more homework before I give you a clear verdict. I should really be chasing momentum here. Hey, by the way, I'm issuing an open invitation to any of these companies that come to the show. Arm Holdings, Maple Bear, a.k.a. Instacart, and Clavio. But back on topic. The thing that jumps out at the most about the latest wave of IPOs is that their stocks are trading just like nearly every other major deal this year. When J&J spun off its consumer business as Kenview in April, I told you to wait because I figured J&J shareholders would take some time to sell off their shares. Sure enough, the stock's now down more than 25% from where it closed in the first day of trading. It's actually below its offer price at this point. Eh, that's, that's a little dismal. I think Kenview's tempting. He's got that 4% yield, but we're seeing these lawsuits over the use of Tylenol during pregnancy. And I got to tell you, I can't give this endorsement until we learn more about litigation, having been burned so badly in litigation involving talc slash asbestos with parent J&J. In June, Kava Group came public. Now, this is very exciting. I, I talked about it openly. We got one right down the block. People love it. Mediterranean fast casual chain. I said you should hold off on buying unless you could get a piece of the actual IPO. Sure enough, Kava doubled right out of the gate, up 99% on its first day of trading. That's ridiculous. And it kept climbing over the next month and a half. That's even more ridiculous. Then the stock collapsed. Kava peaked at 58 in early August, and it spent the last couple of months sinking to $30 and change. Now, remember, the stock opened at $42 on its first day of trading. So there's some hideous losses here. I still avoid it. Maybe we can circle back after the lockup on insider selling ends in December. That may be your chance to really love Kava. Oh, I wish. We always like to tell, you know, open hand. I wish I'd been less bullish on the company called Oddity Tech. That's an Israeli direct-to-consumer cosmetics company. Terrific growth profile. At the time, the stock was trading at $49, and now it's at $28 and change. I think it's interesting that it sells for just over 17 times next year's earnings estimates, but the lockup on insider selling expires in January. So let's wait until then before we think about owning it. I don't want to start trading these things whamma-jamma. Here's the bottom line. Even with a resurgent IPO market, you need to remember your discipline. Unless you can get a piece of the initial deal, you almost never want to buy a newly public stock right out of the gate, as I just demonstrated. They might roar on for a few days or even a few weeks, but then they almost always give back those gains. So the next time you see an exciting IPO, hey, maybe a Birkenstock in a couple of weeks, please remember to be patient. If you love it, the odds favor waiting for a lower price than where it opens, because recent history says that you will indeed get one. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, don't fear the Fed? Why oil's gain doesn't necessarily mean the Dow's pain. Stick with Kramer. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. I've written and talked about this a lot, especially with club members. Lately, it does feel like every time the price of oil goes up, stock market rolls over. It's happened so regularly that we condition ourselves to believe it's normal. You know what? Sometimes these patterns are a lot less meaningful than they seem. Money managers sell stocks from crude rallies because they're afraid of inflation. Okay. But after a day where we got surprisingly softer than expected core inflation reading, it's worth thinking about whether this linkage makes any sense whatsoever and whether you should really use it as part of an investment strategy. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. He's a legendary technician, market historian, who's been the top expert in this space since, I don't know, as a child. Larry's written over a dozen books, created a ton of proprietary technical indicators, many of which are named after him. More important, he's the guy who warned us that August, and more importantly, the bulk of September, would be awful. He came on the show in early August for chart week, and he predicted that things might not take a good turn for the better until late September, which is what seemed to be happening this morning, if then things rolled over. But still, it was obvious yesterday and today a little bit better. So let's talk about the history of oil in the stock market. These days, you constantly hear that higher oil is bad news for the averages, and if crude somehow goes above $100 a barrel, it'll kill us. But Larry Williams, he says this is a complete myth. When you look at the history, he's right. It's the opposite. So check out this chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average in black and the price of West Texas Intermediate Crude in red from late 2008 through 2012. Larry points out that uh, most of the time when oil rallies, stocks rally. Look at this. Higher oil prices almost never push stock prices down. Look at how closely they're correlated during this period. When oil roared, stocks roared. When oil went down, stocks went down. Pretty simple. You don't need a long memory to know this. Most of the time in the markets, Wall Street treats higher oil prices as a positive for the stock market because traders see it as oil as a proxy for economic activity. That's certainly how it was 15 years ago. Now, during the 2008-2009 bear market, the price of oil bottomed a few months before the stock market did. And then when oil roared higher, stocks were too. The reality was precisely the opposite of all the chatter we hear lately. What about more recently? All right, now if you look at the action in the Dow and the price of oil, this is from 2015 to 2020, you see the same darn pattern. Williams reminds us that crude oil and stocks rally together, time after time after time. Higher oil simply isn't an immediate precursor of market sell-offs, even if it seems like that's a law of market physics right now. Now, what happens when the price of oil goes down? All right, take a look again. The Dow is in black and the crude is in red. This is from 2012-2016. From mid-2014 through early 2016, oil went into a hideous bear market thanks to massive oversupply from all the newly exploited shale plays. If you believe the current conventional wisdom, that that should have been good news for the stock market, right? Well, clearly wrong. 
When oil started rolling over, Williams points out the stocks completely lost their mojo, right? Nearly all their upside momentum. Then it's been over a year trading sideways. If anything, the market had a slightly downward bias. In fact, not only do stocks and oil tend to trade the same direction in the short term, but Williams thinks that looking at oil can be a great way to forecast where stocks might be headed. Remember, he's constantly looking at patterns from the past, trying to identify cycles or patterns that seem to repeat over and over again. So how about the long-term relationship between stocks and oil? Won't persistently high energy prices put a damper on the whole uh, global economy? Isn't that the kind of conventional thinking right now? Oh, not so fast. Take a look at this chart. Once again, it's the Dow in black and the price of crude in red. This time, though, Larry shifted the price of crude forward by about three years. And what do we see? The price of oil three years ago tends to be surprisingly a good barometer of where the stock market might be headed. If oil was rallying three years ago, there's a good chance stocks will be rallying now. Full disclosure, this is really important, okay? I do not have any idea what the mechanism for this would be. I am clueless about how this kind of pattern works. But I can't deny the fact that the pattern exists, right? That's how the charts work. And from late 2017 through early 2021, the price of oil three years ago did an excellent job of forecasting where the Dow was headed. Maybe higher energy prices take three years to filter through the rest of the economy in a positive way as money flows from the oil industry into the rest of the country. Maybe there's some other dynamic that I can't figure out. Either way, what matters is, the pattern's surprisingly reliable. Why look underneath that? That's the truth. And you know what? It stayed pretty reliable. When you look at the same relationship the present action and the Dow plotted against the price of oil about three years ago, you find that it's held up from 2020 through the first half of this year. It predicts rallies. It predicts declines. The linkage is almost uncanny. Now, one more. Let's look at the Dow and the price of oil backdated three years from late 2021 through today and then in the future. Remember, the whole point of the exercise is to predict where stocks might be headed. Once again, oil prices from three years ago have had a surprisingly reliable guide to action in the stock market throughout this period. Will that relationship hold up? Well, here we go. William says we'll know pretty soon because his backdated oil forecast suggests the stock market is in for a tremendous rally starting in November. Gives him yet another reason to stay bullish on stocks into the end of the year. Don't forget, he's the one who told us the seasonal pattern tends to turn positive as we head into October, Monday. So we got another reason to feel more constructive. Bottom line, I know when we're terrified of the Federal Reserve, it seems like every oil rally is terrible news for the stock market. But the charts disturbed by Larry Williams highlight the fact that oil and the Dow Jones Industrial Average more often than not trade in the same direction. And if you're trying to make long-term predictions, your best bet is actually to look at how crude oil was behaving three years ago, because that's a surprisingly reliable predictor of where the stock market might be headed right now. I believe in this. I believe in Larry's work. He told us September would be awful. He says October is going to be better. And now you see how great November is going to be. I am with Williams because he has been right at every big turning point since we've been working together. Now, let's take calls. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Jimmy Chill. Yo, man. Florida. Booyah to you. I like that. Booyah like to you. To start by thanking you and all your staff for all the help for the individual investors like myself throughout the many you know, years. I, I love, you know, I cannot, stop, I cannot hear that enough. We are in the throes of a difficult market, and we want to be helping people. And when we hear someone like you say that, then we know we are doing our job. How can I help you? My question is on a limited partnership that focuses mainly on renewable energy, uh, wind and solar. 
Um, I took a position on this company back in May. Uh, on Wednesday, the stock went down quite a bit. And over the last few days, it's gone down and down and down. Uh, the symbol is NEP. Should I buy more? Should I? Yeah, that's a partnership that I frankly, I don't really understand sometimes as I'm willing at this stage of the game and my age to just say, I don't understand why that stock is acting so badly. I really don't. Let's look into it because this is a limited partnership. It's not the usual one that we look at and we will come back. And I thank you for your confidence in us. And I hope I do not let you down. Let's go to Stuart in New York, please. Stuart. Jimmy, how the hell are you? I'm all right. A little wet here, you know. But yeah, our basement, know, the basement just got flooded. Umbrella. Yeah, I mean, I uh, asked my wife what to always, do, and she said, hey, listen, you know, thanks for nothing. But she didn't put it like that, but that was certainly the implication. All right, <laughs> how, how, let's go to work. Uh, listen, uh, you always say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I'd like to call your attention to uranium. Massive, massive shortages. And my stock is energy fuels. Yes. And I went over this with Ben Soto, who works with me. And uh, Ben's the research director. And I said, OK, let's do it. Let's focus on uranium. We have to because it's hot, hot, hot. And I believe in nuclear power. And this is integral to it. You've got a good idea. Now, it might seem like higher oil prices are bad for stocks. But the charts is interpreted by Larry Williams. And he is the best show the direction of crude is actually a strong indicator where the stock market could be headed next. And it is bullish. Much more may have on head. When you call in and I don't know a stock like some of them we just got, I always promise to do the homework and come back with an answer. I will do that with NextEra Partners. I will, I'm going to show I did it with Primora Services and with Motive Care. Uh, I didn't know these companies. Then, Investing Club subscribers know how we feel about playing the earnings game. I'm sharing my strategy for how you should navigate investing in a company that's ready to report. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Every night I take your phone calls because it's important to cover the stocks that you care about, not just the ones that I care about. Sometimes I get stumped. Promise to circle back if you're doing some homework. Tonight I want to catch up on some of those uh, homework assignments. First up, back on August 10th, Steve in New York asked me about Primoris. Primoris Services, a specialty contracting services company based in Dallas. Originally, Primoris was a pipeline construction play, but these days they do all sorts of specialty construction, maintenance, replacement, fabrication, and engineering stuff. They mainly serve oil and gas companies, renewable energy plays, uh, state departments of, uh, of transportation. There's tons of those, and each one's individual contracts, and tons of gas and electric utilities. Now, Primoris is exciting because in the most recent quarter, their numbers came in much higher than expected. Uh, terrific revenue beat, coupled with a 21-cent earnings beat off of a 59-cent basis. Even better, they had a record backlog of $6.6 billion. That's up from just $2.8 billion five years ago. In fact, they added $2.5 billion to the backlog just last quarter alone. No wonder management raised their full-year earnings forecast. These guys are in fuego. Some of the strength is because Prime Morris has been making smart acquisitions, though. Last year, they bought a company called PLH for $470 million. This deal had almost doubled their power delivery business. They now have a lot more utility customers. At the same time, you got to expect that Prime Morris to be a major beneficiary of all that renewable energy subsidies in the Inflation Reduction Act, IRA. Last quarter alone, these, ca- these guys racked up $770 million worth of solar contracts. Remember, I just spoke about the solar on Wednesday night, explaining how First Solar can keep outperforming its competitors thanks to its large domestic manufacturing base. Now, many other solar panel makers are looking to move their factories to the United States to 
get a piece of the IRA's tax incentives, which means they'll need to hire someone like Prime Morris to do the construction. So the business looks good. How about the stock? Honestly, I feel bad that Prime Morris wasn't on my radar screen earlier because this thing has just been a gigantic winner, up nearly 50% year to date. Now, fortunately, the stock's pulled back about 10% from its August highs thanks to the market-wide weakness. I think this sell-off is a gift. Prime Morris currently trades at just 10.6 times next year's earnings estimates, which makes it much cheaper than similar, similar engineering firms that I happen to like very much, like Jacob Solutions or AECOM. Long story short, Steve, I think you got a real winner. Thanks for putting Primoris on our radar screen. Next up, August 14th, Mike in New Jersey called in about Motive Care. Uh, that's a tech tech-enabled healthcare services company. Now, you might know them as the Providence Services Company Corporation, which was their name until a couple of years ago. Motive Care is one of America's largest managers of non-emergency medical transportation programs for state governments and managed care organizations. They also help place personal care assistance, home health aides, and skilled nurses, primarily through uh, Medicaid, and they provide remote patient monitoring services, including emergency response systems, medication management, monitoring vital signs long-term, story is pretty straightforward. we got a rapidly aging population in this country, and the older you get, the more likely you are going to need motive cares, uh, provide, care that they're providing. According to the company, there are millions of people every year who miss out on medical care due to lack of transportation, something that often leads to complications. It's cheaper for health care providers to just make sure you make it to your appointments on time. Motive care is already seeing a boost from this. When they reported their most recent quarter last month, the company handily beat Wall Street's consensus revenue estimates. They saw real strength in their home division, think personal care, remote patient monitoring, but there was also an uptick in medical transportation. However, Motive Care seems to have some issues turning that strength into higher earnings, which came in weaker than expected. In fact, while management raised their full year revenue forecast, they actually cut. Their full-year EBITDA forecast, that's earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, because the cost to generate new revenue has been higher than expected. I never like to have that happen. I say ouch. Motivecare is also having trouble generating free cash flow, which is also a negative, uh, because analysts raised concerns about it on the conference call. Their cash flow from operations was surprisingly low at negative $108 million. Same time, they expect Medicare redetermination to cause a 10 to 15% decline and non-emergency medical transportation enrollment. Ouch. So while I like Motive Care's long-term thesis, there are just too many question marks, too many near-term red flags for me to endorse this one. Can't go positive on the stock until I see more consistency in their financials. Hey, speaking of the stock, it's down more than 17% since Mike in the Garden State asked about it, including an odd 10% plus decline just this past Wednesday on double the average trading volume. We can't find a reason for that sell-off. Boy, does that ever trouble me. Makes me feel like somebody knows something I don't. And that's something clearly negative. Oh, uh, on a uh, more positive note, I like Motive Care's chairman, Christopher Shackleton, and his hedge fund, Coliseum Capital Management. They've been buying more shares into recent weakness. That's encouraging, but not enough. Not good enough reason for me to recommend this stock. In fact, Shackleton and Coliseum have been buying this one all year, and it hasn't helped. Motive Care's down six. 5% year-to-date. Just brutal. Listen, if Motive Care can start beating the earnings estimates and raising its earnings guidance when it reports, if it can start consistently generating positive cash flow, then I'd be willing to change my name. Change my name. Change my mind. But for now, no. The execution, it just isn't there yet. And I found it disappointing. Man, money's back there for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. 
It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. Before we get to lightning round, one last chance. I wanted to give you the taste of the work we're doing for the CBC Investing Club. Today in our online morning meeting at 10.20 a.m. when we saw the market opened up strongly, we encourage you to hold off from putting new money to work. Wait for lower prices after yesterday's rally. Sure enough, we got them later in the day, but they were not low enough for us to say time to do some buying. We said sit on your hands. That's okay. Let's see where the market opens on Monday. Now, that's just one of the several touch points we do every day with the Investing Club because we want you to be informed about the market and the Travel Trust portfolio. And you know what? Alas, it's the last day the offer will be made. So I say give it a try. And now it is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. Chris Benson, we're going to be saying this. I'm going to be able to play this sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, of the lightning round. Remember, this start with Steven Arizona. Steven. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, Long Steven. Long time listener, second time caller. Fantastic. Good fan of you and yourself. Thanks for doing all this for us. Thank you. Uh, the question for you, Dave, is Caterpillar. Ticker symbol CAT. What do you think yeah, about it's it? It's been week of late because people are starting to worry about a recession again. It seems to happen every single time, but the stock is not priced for any sort of great growth. And yet I think that because of all the infrastructure money is coming, 2024 is going to be a good year. I reiterate my bye as I did for our roundup for the uh, yes, for our people who belong to the CBC Investing Club. Last day for the good deal. Okay, let's go to Betsy in California, please. Betsy. Hey, Jim. I want hey, to thank you for making me an honors graduate of Kramer University through the Investing Club. There you go. My stock, my stock today it has a one-year return of 249.91%, a three-year return of 285.92%, and a five-year return of 165.58%. Although the current PE is 26.61, the forward PE is estimated to be only 12.45%. Okay. Jim and the C and the CEO is the bomb. It's another one of your very bright ladies, Jim. It's Fran Horowitz at Fran Horowitz is real smart. Fran Horowitz is real smart. And Abercrombie, she's done an unbelievable job. I have missed ANF because I've been so fearful of that kind of that age group apparel. But it's a winner. What can I say? Congratulations to you for finishing SUMA in the class. Let's go to Charles in Maryland. Charles. Yes, good evening. How are you today? I am good, Charles. How are you? A little waterlogged. What's happening? Okay. I just wanted to ask about ExxonMobil. How do you think it's making its decline? I think Exxon continues to go higher. I like the stock. I does not. It has room to grow, and it's doing quite well as a company. Let's go to Brian in Oregon. Brian. Hey, booyah from booyah. the left coast of Portland, Oregon. Love Oregon. Daughter lived there for a long time. What's happening? Ticker symbol A-R-D-X. Come- speculative stock. Speculative, speculative, speculative on metabolism. I don't know. I mean, not with my money. Perhaps yours. Let's go to Quinn in West Virginia. Quinn. Yeah, yeah, booyah. Whoa, look at yeah, that. Man. That guy's coming to play. Quinn's happening. What's going on? Hey, man, we appreciate you. Look, AWK, American Water, we are You know what? American Water is the kind of stock that I like. It's come down greatly from where it was. It's right out in Vory's Jersey. I know these guys. It's a terrific situation. I wish it had a little higher yield, but that's going to unfortunately happen by the stock going down. But it's just a very good company. It's being caught up in the maelstrom of higher rates. Let's go to Nicholas in California. Nicholas. 
Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I want to thank you for recommending way back. Roll, RBC bearings. Awesome. Okay. Very good. What's up? Okay. Uh, I have about my 10% portfolio of the speculative stocks, and I was wondering what you thought about Fubo, even though they're no, not making that money. That one's too speculative. I just think that they're just not where you should put your money. Is They're just not good enough. I don't want you to put your money in them. Let's go to Sam in Massachusetts. Be Sam. Thank you, Jim. What are your thoughts on Livent, LTHM? I am not a lithium fan ever since I heard that uh, Elon Musk said that they all make too much money. I've been saying, uh-uh, not for me. And that, ladies and conclusion of the Lightning Round. Coming up, don't play a guessing game this earnings season. Kramer on where to focus your homework next. As I often tell investing club members, you shouldn't try to play the earnings game, meaning don't trade stocks on the basis of what you're expecting from the quarterly numbers. It's simply gotten too hard. I think it makes a lot more sense to wait until you see the quarter, pull it apart, and then make a judgment once you know all the facts. Case in point, Micron, the commodity semiconductor maker. Micron reported a very, very good quarter this week, probably better than expected. They talked about how their inventories are being worked out and said we're at a bottom in the semiconductor cycle. But then Micron lowered the boom on us knowing that their earnings wouldn't turn up anytime soon while their cash flow would be terrible for the next six to nine months. The morning after the quarter, we interviewed uh, Micron's CEO, Sanjay Marocho, on Squawk on the Street, and he was abject about the outlook. I badgered him about it, how he could say that business had, bo- had bottomed, yet at the same time, earnings would be bad. That seemed counterintuitive to me. He was straightforward about his outlook, which was, I thought, tinged by a notion of economic uncertainty. I pressed and said it would be highly unusual to call a bottom and then see your numbers actually come down. He said basically that was his outlook, and that's all there is to it. Now, here's how I look at this. Sanjay knows how to make semiconductors. I wouldn't even know what some of these chips do. And others are so small that I can't imagine how they work. That's okay. Knowing chips is his business. Me? I know stocks. I've been trading Micron since not long after Sanjay co-founded Sandisk in 1988. Here's what I can tell you. When inventory is bottom, when the customers have used up the chips in the channel, you cannot wait for Sanjay to tell you to go buy. That is not his job. So when the stock was down yesterday, I knew that once again, here we go. It's the best time to buy Micron. You can't extrapolate the CEO's bearishness to the stock itself. Not at this point in the cycle. It was time to buy, buy, buy. Let me give you another example. Nike. Sure, it would have been terrific to buy the stock yesterday and catch today's nearly 7% gain. But that gain's minimal versus where the stocks come from. And most analysts didn't even offer commentary about it yet. For me, that means Nike has more room to run as the analysts, almost all of whom have incredibly high price targets, take them down and then bull the stock because it, too, had an inventory clearing. That will embolden the analysts to reiterate their buy ratings, maybe take it to an extra special buy, whatever they do. Now, there are plenty of stocks where you don't get a chance to do that much after the report. That's okay. What's not okay is to try to guess the results ahead of time because there's almost never enough information that you can make a clever, smart, or predictable guess that you can invest on. It work like that. Yet all the time I hear people talking about buying or selling before the quarter. For the most part, I think these people lead you astray. Far better to know the patterns of the stocks and know what they should trade on and know whether the market's first steps might be wrong. There are enough of these stocks around that you don't want to play an ill-fated guessing game of Ernie's roulette. Just wait for the results, wait for the conference call, and figure it out from there. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I probably try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 